we doing? It is so good to be together with you guys. Thank you so much for jumping in with us today. For those in this room, for those that are in other overflow rooms and maybe in the tent on campus and for those joining us online, we are really glad you carved out a little bit of time on this Christmas Eve to be together with us. And for all the kids in the room, we are so glad you're here. It's not very often we get to have kiddos in the room with us. And so, man, I just want to let you guys know we are thrilled that you're with us. I love Christmas music. You know, Spotify every year tells you what your top songs are and genres. And two of the top five songs all year for me were Christmas songs. Uh, because I think, man, why wait until mid-December or for some of you like pre-Thanksgiving to start listening to Christmas music? Listen to it all year long. And when it comes to a service like this, a Christmas Eve service, there are so many amazing things we could spend our time talking about. When you look at the, the first Christmas as reflected in the Bible, you've got so many options to choose from. I, I thought you could talk about Mary and Joseph and what would have been immense societal pressure as you've got this, uh, this young girl who's pregnant and she's betrothed so she's not married and just the pressure there. And then, or the census where they had to go to be uh, registered and you got Mary's, you know, in her third trimester riding a donkey to get registered. And then when she gets there, not having a place to deliver, crazy. We could talk about the shepherds who were out that night minding their own shepherd business and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, an angel of the Lord surrounded by heavenly hosts proclaim, or we could talk about the wise guys who came from the east. And as they followed and they sought to figure out where the star was going to lead them to, and they come to Jesus with their gifts. I mean, those would, be, those would be all worthy things to meditate on. But what I want us to spend our time, this little bit of slice of time that we have together is on really one small verse, one phrase, a couple phrases hidden in the first chapter in the Gospel of Matthew that talks about this first Christmas. And when I think, what I hope is that as we unpack these couple of verses, I hope that it will um, put the wind in the sails of our heart, that it will lift us with hope. It'll remind us of the things that are important. And I think ultimately my hope is, is that as we reflect on these verses, it'll help us answer two of the most pressing questions that have been asked by mankind for centuries. One is, how should I think about God? How should you think about God? And number two, maybe more importantly, what does God think about me? And man, those questions are relevant, aren't they? We, many of us are, have stumbled into this Christmas season and we're tired. Maybe we're weary. Some of us may feel overwhelmed and underappreciated. Some of us may have rolled into the Christmas season and we're asking, we're looking around at the chaos and we're asking, God, what are you doing? Do you, do you even see what's going on around my life, with my family, with my friends, with this country, with this world? Are you even aware? And I think as we jump into this passage, I think we're going to be encouraged because I know that we are not the first folk to ask those questions. You see, as we roll back through history, we see a lot of seasons where God's people have been wondering those same things. And as we roll back into the gospel of Matthew, into the first century, we're gonna see God's covenant people, the Jews, are in a really tight situation themselves. See, your Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi, the prophet, and then it moves into a season, a long season, a 400-year season of silence where God has not sent any prophets to the land and it seems like God has gone dark. He's not responding. And the Jews in the first century, his covenant people, were oppressed 
from without by the vast Roman Empire that was seeking to take over the entire planet. And so they were experiencing oppression from without and they were experiencing burdens and oppression from within because the men and the leaders of the nation who were supposed to lead them to still waters and to green pastures were instead tying up heavy burdens that were hard to bear. And they were laying them on the people's shoulders as Matthew tells us in Matthew 23. God's people were weary and tired. Some of them were overwhelmed and felt underappreciated, I'm sure. And I'm sure they were asking, like us, like maybe some of us, God, what are you doing? Do you see? Do you have anything to share with us? And then out of the darkness, out of the silence of 400 years, spotlight comes Matthew chapter 1. So we're going to read from a little bit in Matthew 1. We're going to start in verse 18, and then we'll go from there. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 1, 18. We'll have it up behind me. If you don't have it, that's okay. Read along with me. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph. That just means like legally pledged to be married. When she'd been legally pledged to be married, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. See, Joseph, she's going to bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And just in case you tuned out while I was reading that passage, I want to go back and I want to reread the last one. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew doesn't want you to miss the significance. And so he says, they shall call his name Emmanuel. And he says, in, in parentheses, a parenthetical note, just so you don't miss this, God with us. That's what it means. Matthew wants you to get it. He doesn't want you to miss it. And for most of us, names are a pretty big deal. What we want to be called is a big deal. What we want our children to be called is a big deal. And sure, sometimes we'll have some kind of lightheartedness. You may have, you know, named your kid Shelby because you're fascinated with Ford Shelby Mustangs. Or maybe you went to labor in Macy's and so you've got Macy, your daughter, or some other reason like that. But for many of us, we try to apply some level of thoughtfulness when we think about what we want our kids to be called. And I know Missy and I have tried to be thoughtful with our seven kids. We've got a picture of our, of our crew up here. And as we started having kids and we wanted to be thoughtful about their names, we started with our son Daniel, who will be 18 in a couple of days. And I, I named him, we named him Daniel after a guy who had a profound impact on my walk and understanding with Jesus as a college freshman, Dan Flynn. And I wanted Daniel to have his name because he had such an impact on my life. And we went with Caroline, our number two, our 16-year-old. We named her Caroline Michelle because you may not know this, but my wife's real name is not Missy. It's Michelle. And I wanted Caroline to know, hey, Caroline, if you are half the woman that your mother is, you will be doing really, really well. And we had Lillian a few years later, named after my fiery Jewish grandmother out in Southern California, and we had kid number six, Timothy Bruce, named after my brother, Timothy, and Missy's sweet great-grandfather, Bruce. And then we had kid seven, and we were thinking, this is probably the last one. And I knew if I had one shot left, 
And so we went with Madison Davey because I was like, if I'm going to get my name in there now, I got to do it now or never. And so we went with Madison Davey because we were thoughtful. Hey, kiddos, I would just suggest if, as you're driving home, you should ask your mom and dad where they came up with your name. That could be a fun conversation. But you know who else is thoughtful about name? You know who is more thoughtful about what people shall be called? God is. And as you read throughout scripture, you will see that names are a really big deal in the Bible. What God says someone's going to be called is really significant. And in this section of Matthew, we see that the Messiah is going to be called by two names. One, Jesus, which means God, the Lord saves. And Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we're going to focus in on the second one. God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And that's made up of two parts. And so for us to really understand and appreciate and be encouraged and spurred on and find hope, we should really unpack what does it mean, God with us. And so we're going to look at what does it mean that God came to earth? What is that? Who is this God? And then what does it mean that he was with us? Over the centuries, many theologians and Bible nerds have debated on what was the greatest miracle in Scripture. And most often it comes down to either the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, not a bad one to make the finals, or the incarnation, which is simply that God took on flesh and become a baby. Both of those things are incredible. And, you know, which one's greater? They're both pretty amazing. But for the one that creates in my heart the wonder and the awe is trying to wrap my tiny brain around God stepping into our world, putting on flesh and blood, walking our dusty, broken streets, engaging with us in our dysfunction, that to me is almost overwhelming. And if he would do that, well, then of course God would raise him from the dead. But why on earth would God come be a part of the mess that we have made? Emmanuel, God with us. And I think as we come to appreciate the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace that Isaiah said this person would be, we will be better able to answer the questions, how should I think about God and what does God think about me? So let's take the first one. God with us. God with us. A.W. Tozier famously wrote in The Knowledge of the Holy that uh, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Always, he writes, the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. And when we look at this first Christmas story, when we unpack what God has left us in the scriptures, we see that those who were around when the first Christmas happened had a pretty clear idea of what was going on. You guys remember that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Well, Mary had a relative and her name was Elizabeth. She was an older woman and it says that she was barren. And then God uh, gave she and her husband a, a, a boy, and she was pregnant. And Scripture tells us that about her third trimester of pregnancy, Mary went to go visit Elizabeth. So Mary had heard from the angel that she was going to bear the son Jesus. And so Mary's pregnant, and she's going to visit her relative. It's about a three days' journey. And she walks into Elizabeth's home, and listen to how Elizabeth greets her. As soon as Mary walks into the home and greets her, Elizabeth says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That's in Luke 1. And so Elizabeth recognized this wasn't just Mary giving, uh, uh, building a baby in her uterus. This was her Lord that was being knit together in her womb. 
Later we see in the Gospel of Luke, as I mentioned, those shepherds doing their shepherd thing out on that shepherd night. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord appears and it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid because I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This was not your typical baby announcement put on 32-pound bonded stock paper. This was an announcement from the angel of the Lord wrapped in the glory of the Lord that the Messiah, the Deliverer, the King had come and was now on earth. And then we have the wise men who came from the east, it says, and they were tracking the star to find this, this king. And it says in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Did you see how those people who were involved in the first Christmas responded to the first Christmas? My Lord, my Savior, Christ, they fell down and they worshipped and they gave him gifts. And I think sometimes when we get into season, we can mistakenly only focus on Jesus's humanity, his infancy, baby Jesus. And when we only focus on Jesus as, as an infant, we miss the overwhelmingly big idea of Emmanuel, God with us. When we focus only on Jesus as an infant, we risk missing the overwhelmingly big idea of Emmanuel, God with us. Why do I say that? Because Jesus was not just a baby. He was fully man and he was fully God. So let's consider who Jesus was who Jesus is, and who Jesus will always be. And I want to do that by looking at a passage in Colossians that Paul wrote. And what I'm going to do is I read this passage in Colossians. I have replaced all of the pronouns. Remember that eighth grade annoying grammar, all the hymns and the he's? I've replaced the pronouns with the proper noun so that we can really dial in onto who was in the manger. Read with me Colossians 1, 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body of the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Jesus to reconcile to the Father all things, whether on earth or in heavens, making peace by the blood of his cross. And what this passage lets us know is that as Jesus' cells divided, as his fingernails grew, as his organs were knit together in Mary's womb, he was at that moment the very fullness of God in bodily form. As Jesus was held by his mother, he was the one, in fact, in that moment, holding all things together. As Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a feeding trough, he was in his helplessness as an infant, the very one who was preeminent over all things. For us to fully appreciate the God in God with us, we have to allow our hearts and our minds to be transformed by who was in the manger. 
Jesus didn't become king as he grew. No, he was king within the womb. He was king when he was placed in the manger. He was king when he was nailed to the cross. He was king when he was rose from the dead and when he blew off the stone that covered the grave. He was king throughout eternity past. He's king today. He'll be king tomorrow. He will be king forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And so the answer to the question, how do I think about God and God with us, it unfolds in our hearts as we meditate on how Scripture describes him. Christ the Lord, our Savior, holy, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, fully God at thy birth. And when we get our arms around that and we begin to let that truth soak into our hearts and our minds, it should lead us to this next question, which is, why, why, why would you do that? Why would, if you, why would God become man? That, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? And that helps us answer the back half of the question of God with us. What does it mean to be with us? I don't like to get out of my bed to let my dog out. And yet God sent his son from perfect unity, perfect fellowship, perfect trini- uh, within the Trinity down to our dusty, broken earth. Why? Why would he do that? I mentioned just a bit ago Tozier, and Tozier said that the most important thing about us is how we view view God. I want to share with you the other side of that coin. C.S. Lewis wrote something different. C.S. Lewis did not agree with Tozier. Here's what C.S. Lewis wrote in The Way to Glory. He said, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God himself, it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important but infinitely more important to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father in a son. It seems impossible, a weight or a burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. Did you hear what Lewis said? The father doesn't pity us. He delights in us the way that a good father delights in his son or his daughter. And so what's, what's the answer to the question of what does God think of you? The answer is that God loves you. And it doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter what your year has looked like. It doesn't matter what your life has looked like up to this point. You are loved by God. And this wasn't C.S. Lewis's idea. He stole this from Scripture. This is what Paul talked about in Galatians 4. Galatians 4, starting in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, if you're a son, then you're also an heir through God. So focus in on that so that God sent his son, born of a woman to this broken earth, so that you and I could be redeemed in order that we might be adopted. Or to put it another way, God sent his son so that we could become his sons. God sent his son so that we could become his sons. And this is what Paul is saying in these verses. And this is what the scripture says in many, many, many other verses is that we need God to come get us. We need a savior because we're broken. And the sin that separates us from a holy God is so infinite. It's not crossable in our brokenness and the way we hurt others out of the hurt that we've been hurt with. The things that we say 
and do, the things that we don't do that we ought to do, the way we go our own path, we are broken and in desperate need of God with us. And so Paul says, the Father sent the Son so that we could be redeemed. That's just a fancy word that means we could be bought back. We could be delivered from our sins. We could be made right with God. And the way that we do that is by simply raising the white flag and saying, I can't do this. And if 2020 has taught us anything, it is that we cannot do this. We need a Savior. And Jesus came, and he was born, and he was put in a manger, and he grew. And he lived a life of perfect obedience in thought, word, and deed. Everything that he was supposed to do, he did. The things that he was not supposed to do, he avoided. And he loved all persons to the fullness. And he was betrayed by one of his closest. And he was mocked. He was tortured. He was hung up on a cross, and he was killed. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he busted out of the tomb. And his busting out of the tomb, his raising from the dead is the thing that cancels out the sin that enslaves us. If we will simply put our faith and our trust and our belief that he has done it all for us. We don't need to do anything else. And here's the truth. None of that happens without Emmanuel, God with us. There is no cross without Emmanuel, God with us. There is no opportunity for our redemption without Emmanuel, God with us. There is no adoption as sons or daughters without Emmanuel, God with us. There are, our peace with God that we can experience in the midst of a crazy world doesn't happen without Emmanuel, God with us. Your brokenness, my brokenness, the healing that comes that's available to us as we begin to walk with Jesus today doesn't happen without Emmanuel, God with us. So when you ask the question, what does God think about you? The answer is he loves you. And he loves you enough to enter into our humanity, to walk our roads, to be tortured and abused, to be put to death, to be put into a tomb, and to be raised from the dead for you, and for you, and for you. Because God loves humanity. And God said, if I need to send my son to earth to be able to bring them back into relationship, that is a price I'm willing to pay, which is crazy. Because if you asked me, which of my kids would I sacrifice for the salvation of somebody else? The answer is nobody, not a single person would I sign off on that trade. And God said, not only will I do it, I'll do it for the people that are gonna hang him on the tree. Emmanuel, God with us. What does God think about you? He is crazy about you. I mentioned earlier uh, that we named our kids thoughtfully, at least we tried to. And if you were counting, you'll notice that I have seven kids, but I only mentioned off, I only rattled off the names of five of my kids. And see, we've got five biological, and the Lord has brought two of us, two of them to us through adoption. Joshua and Abigail. We adopted Joshua about 10 years ago when he was three years oldish. And we adopted Abigail about 13 years ago when she was about a year and a half old. And when you're going through an adoption process, you get to a point in the process where there is a legal declaration that Missy and I are now the permanent legal guardians of these kids. And there comes a part in the process where these kids are now legally, permanently our children. And as we thought through, Missy and I, what do we want them to be called? 
we decided we would hang on to some of their, uh, their Chinese name, but we wanted to give them a name what we wanted them to be called. And so with Joshua, we went Joshua, which means the Lord saves. Because I want Joshua to remember. Every time he hears his name, and he thinks about how should he think about God, I want to remember that God, Joshua, is Savior. The Lord saves. And Abigail, my daughter, Abigail means a father's joy, and I want her to remember. Every time I whisper her name, that she is a joy to her father. And I want her to, when she has to ask herself, what does God think of me? I want her to remember, ah, I'm a joy to the father. You're a joy to the father. We have been adopted. And if I'm just as broken and jacked up as I am, if I am, can become this overwhelmed about my kids, what does God think of you? He loves you. And he made a way so that you could be redeemed in order that you and I could be adopted. And when we were adopted by God, we were given new names. God calls us something different. John 1:12 says that we are his child. Galatians 4 says we are sons and daughters. Hebrews 2 says we are Jesus' brothers and sisters. Romans 8 says we are heirs with Christ because we are his brothers. We are loved. Emmanuel. God with us. Father, thank you for even just these few moments to be reminded of your unbelievable care for unbelievably sinful, wicked people. I thank you for the first Christmas. I thank you for Emmanuel, God with us. I thank you that you were not content to just merely watch us from afar, but no, you entered into our pain. You entered into our brokenness. You brought mercy. You brought kindness. You brought justice. You brought grace. You brought healing. You brought our adoption, and we are forever indebted to you for that. I pray for any in this room who don't know you, who have never entered into the family of God, never been adopted by you through Jesus, that today, this Christmas Eve, would not just be one more that they would tick off of things they've got to get done before Christmas, but that this would be the day when they fully come to terms with Emmanuel, God with us. Would you make that so in Jesus' name? Amen.